We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? Think what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to it's a ratio. Okay, though. It's a ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. And so, no, not even when I got these scars from lupus, not even then did I, I doubt that for one second. I just felt that it was part of my story. You know, there's that old adage, scars are like tattoos, but with more interesting stories. Well, this was my story. This was my information. This was, this was all a part of, even though it was difficult at the time, of course, you know, when you are just these things start to appear in your face. Um, How old were you? Uh, 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, 21. And so there was more of a kind of a personal crisis, but never in t- that I went through, like, you know, oh, my God, my face is changing. Like, I don't know what's happening. And no one knew. That was it. It's not like anyone knew it was lupus. Like, no one knew. Like, I, you know, I was... The subject of I was a case study in a hospital and people were prodding around at my face, you know, med students, not even real doctors, you know, and so no one knew. So there was a kind of personal crisis that I went through. But in terms of did I think it would ever stop me from achieving what I, no, not even close. <laughs> I mean, Seal, one of the great singers of our time crazy kiss from a rose seal i have loved this man's voice for decades i cannot believe that i am talking to seal on torre show how are you i'm great thank you how are you it, I'm great. It's it's quite an honor to talk to you. I have been listening to your voice for so long and mm-hmm. uh, such an amazing voice. I really want to talk about music because you are one of the most iconic singers and voices and songwriters of my generation. Um, I think I was in college when Crazy blew up and it was just 
everywhere. I mean, you know, that song was a phenomenon. And I, wa I want to talk about the music and about the experience of it for you. Um, I, I mean, can we just start with Crazy? Can you talk about, you know, what went into writing it and the, the, the moment in the studio when you're recording it and capturing that magic? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for all that. I'm, I'm going to try and live up to your expectations now because <laughs> you, you've you've given me such a great bill in that that. Uh, uh, thank you. Um, crazy. Well, it's a funny one, crazy because it. it, it I have a lot of um, good memories and a lot of quite significant memories that go along with that song. Um, that was the first song that I'd written where I knew I had one. You knew uh, you had a hit? Well, I just knew I had one. I, uh, whatever one is. Yeah. I, 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 I'll try and elaborate on that. Um, before Crazy, I had been writing a bunch of material and that had come after a decision that I'd made around 23, 24 to finally embark on music as a career. Music was always something that I did. Singing was always something that I did um, for as long as I can remember. But the decision to actually make it a career was quite a significant one because, of course, once you do that in anything, you are setting yourself up for the possibility of failure. So it went from, I transitioned from this thing that, I, that was an inherent part of me and something that I did naturally to something that I was going to try and succeed at in as, as a career. Um, so that happened at around 23, 24, and I started writing a bunch of material and recording a bunch of demos, um, none of which were very good, I later came to understand. But at the time, of course, you know, through a combination of... Um, uh, youth and uh, uh, youthful arrogance. You just, I, I thought everyone was deaf. You I, know, I know I was, you had, I, a, I know you had a hit. I know you had something big in killer before crazy, but the songs you're talking about in the pre crazy period, is it the same sort of soul music that you would come up with? Or no, it's a different, no, different they area? were just, they were for the most part, they were, uh, unguided, they they lacked identity. So they were they, so so. Um, once I once I decided that I I I was going to um, choose music music as a career path, I started writing these these songs and making these demos, and I took them around to record companies, and they all said the same thing. They they all kind of said, well. Uh, yes, he has an interest in voice, but what is he? Like, is he soul? And 
And then if he is a soul singer, well, then how come he's not singing conventional soul music or R&B or uh, is he rock? Well, then how come he's black? You know, then, then, it, it, so, you know, it, it's, it, I, I, I later came to understand that, that, you know, it's the music business is like anything else, you know, it's, it's a business and you, 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 you have to understand first of all, what it is you're trying to sell and then how you got, how you're going to sell it. So I understand to some degree their, um, their reluctance to, to sign me or whatever. But anyway, I had all of these songs and, and I couldn't get arrested. And then I stopped writing music for, about a year. And by the way, um, all the songs that I'd written up until that point were from my voice because I couldn't play an instrument mm -hmm. then. Um, but then uh, there, was a, there was a series of events that led me to stop writing music for uh, the best part of a year. But during that time, I listened and listened to lots of Hendrix, lots of Zeppelin, lots of uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, lots of lots of um, Sly, uh, Joni Mitchell, lots of Sly, uh, lots of Stevie. But I always listened to Stevie. Stevie was always. But then I got in. I I got in intensely into Stevie, and specifically um, Inner Visions, which till this day remains my my. Desert Island Disc, it's my favorite yes. album of all time. Yeah. And so and so I didn't write a lick of music for a year. Not I just listened, 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 listened. And at the end of that year, it became clear to me that uh I needed to play an instrument because all of the people that I'd been listening to, they all played some kind of instrument to varying degrees. And it became clear to me that that writing from my voice wasn't going to cut it, that I had to find my voice. And the guitar was the easiest and most accessible instrument that I could I could lay my hands on at that point. And I learned a couple of shapes, the E shape and the A shape on the guitar. And then I remember once I learned those two shapes and I moved them up and down the the neck. Hang on a second. Oh, my guitar's a... Mm. Oh, see my doggy. He's... Hang on a second. What's your dog's name? This is Femi. This is Femi and, and his sister is Ola. Oh. She's here. What, what kind of dogs are those? They're Ridgebacks, African Ridgebacks. Nice. Um, Rhodesian Ridgebacks. I was looking for my guitars, but they're all kind of tuned funny. Anyway, hang on one second. I mean, if you're going to grab the guitar, we can wait. No, no, no. <laughs> hang on we got time for that. They think. Ooh, that is beautiful. They're very protective, these. these it's, uh, this guitar is white with gold trimmings. This is gorgeous. Hang on a second. What kind of guitar is that? Hang on a second. What kind of guitar so, is it? 
This is a Gretsch. It's a Gretsch. Wow. It's a Gretsch. Uh, oh, it's an out of tune Gretsch. I should have picked one that was in that is in tune. But any in any case, so what happened? I can I can walk and talk. Um, what happened is I started to I picked up a guitar, and the reason I picked up a guitar was because it was the most accessible. I was working in a recording studio at the time, and and I am. Um, and there were bands that would come into the re- recording studio, and invariably they would leave their their um, they would leave their instruments there overnight. Hold on. Okay, it's very quick. Okay, very quickly. It's worth illustrating this. Yeah. Okay, three more to go. Okay. Okay. Okay, this is not perfect, but... Okay, so you can hear that, can't you? Just about. So what happened? And you can hear that, right? Just about? Yes, yes, yes. So uh, somebody showed me the E shape, which is this shape, and then that's the A shape. E shape and A shape. And they told me that if you move these shapes up and down the neck, you can pretty much play any song that you you need to play. So with those two shapes, I went. But we're never going to survive unless... We get a little crazy. No, we're never gonna survive unless we have a little. So that was the first thing that kept just through those two shapes. Um, I took I took that and thought about all of the things that were happening in the year of 1989, um, uh, Gorbachev being the first man from the Eastern Bloc, Eastern Bloc in 70 years to go and have meetings with the, with, with the Pope. Uh, fra- the fractals were a big thing that year and the Berlin Wall came down in 89, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I sat up and and wrote this song with those two shapes. And then I was very much... Just thinking about the state of the world, right? Reagan, Berlin, Wall, Gorbachev. Yes, Yes. and 
also, also, um, also, um, uh, I was very much involved in dance music at the time. And so, uh, that to me was a perfect vehicle because the type of dance music that basically that was the, the, what was happening in Europe, but actually all over the world, not just in Europe, but also in Detroit and in New York, in uh, Chicago and to some degree, New York. Um, what was happening there in, in that period of 87, 88, 88, 89, 90, what was happening around that time was, essentially the birth of modern day dance music. Mm. Um, and I was right in the thick of that. I was a songwriter before and I'd uh, been writing music before, but couldn't really get signed and it lacked direction and I, and, and more specifically identity and a combination of spending a, a year of listening uh, to great artists um, picking up a guitar and the influence of uh, this really exciting form of dance music uh, that was largely underground uh, and not bridled by uh, uh, the confines of of uh, of you know hit radio or popular music, mm. it was just very explosive and very exciting. And so, I comb- somehow combined all of these elements and came up with crazy. And when I say I knew I had one. I say all that to say this, which is that it was the first time that I'd written something that sounded like me. And Mm. it didn't sound like, it didn't sound like anyone else. And all of the other stuff I'd written before was in some way, shape or form derivative of, 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 you know, it just lacked identity. It didn't really, and I think it was the fact that instead of a singer, I'd actually developed an identity as a songwriter because I was playing something. So it was how I heard the music in addition to just how I'm singing the song. You know, I I could hear the elements and also the influence of the music that I was listening to, lots of dance music at the time. And so, so crazy was a kind of a product of those elements. And it was, and, 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 but I knew I, I, I that was the difference. And I, and I do feel that every artist in their kind of evolution to becoming as, as a songwriter, if you're fortunate enough, I believe there comes a time when you know you have one. And 
the reason I knew it was is is a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I wasn't see listening to what people were saying as a response to crazy. I was looking at the effect it was having on them when I was playing playing it to them. And I remember the guy who was my manage, manager at the time, who had been, or was, he wasn't my manager, but he was kind of the studio boss of the place where I was working at. And I was, you know, I had a little production deal and I was doing my demos there and he was helping me. Um, I remember coming in, I, 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 I wrote the song that afternoon, went round to a friend's house how long did it take? Was it, is it to write the song? Yeah. About 20 minutes. It was real Shut quick. Up. Shut up. No, it was a 20, max, max 30 minutes max. It was, it was, well, songs are like that. I'm sure you've spoken to other songwriters where some like Prayer for the Dying was a song that just took forever. Wait, for how me. long did it take to record it? Oh, a lot, a lot longer. There were about 27 different versions of Crazy. But the song... Wait, when you say 27 different versions, you mean like different takes or we're like trying different, different tempos? Reco- no, different recordings, different recordings. Trevor trying to find, make the perfect record. Slower, you know, faster, a uh, little no, more of this. No, no, it was always the same tempo, but it was just, just different arrangements. Uh, different lengths. There was a six and a half minute version called Crazy with a K, which actually is around. That was originally going to be the single. Oh, it's my, I loved it. <laughs> and then we ended up with what people now know as a record, which obviously was the best choice. But, but, um, but, but, uh, you, you know, such is the process of, 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 or it used to be like that record making. And, and um, that's, you know, we were afforded the luxury of of time and trial and error and multiple different versions in order to make the record. You can have the song for ages, but the record yeah. is something quite unique, I I, I think. Anyway, so one, of the, we, things, um, one of the things people talk about with you is the phrasing, and that is as important as any other element in the song. And it didn't even realize this till listening to the song today. The key line of the song, we're never going to survive unless we get a little crazy. You phrase it in a really interesting way, right? Because the first several words are done very quickly. And then you really stretch out survive and unless. And then you go back to the original rhythm, speaking very quickly. And that is so catchy and it's so sort of hits you deeply right and you and it's a really beautiful way of accenting the two most important words in the sentence um talk about just i mean when you write out the words you're not writing out the phrasing so at what point does it become this is how we do this line well that's a good question and and to be honest um You've helped me because I never, I've never really kind of thought of it in in an analytical sense, or, or certainly not, not in in that way. Um, uh, you know, I, I I think well with the songwriting tends to happen one 
one of two ways. Either the melody comes first or the or the lyrics come first. With with me, a lot of the times it's the melody. I'll hear something. And by saying the melody, I mean the 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 the, the cadence of it, the the percussive nature or lack thereof of the melody. Um, I will, I, I hear that first and that generally has a sentiment to it that makes me kind of then either later write lyrics to, or as in the case with crazy, it all just came at the same time at, at once. And so I don't know where that comes from. I wish I did. And then I could kind of do it every time, but I don't really know. I don't know where that comes from. and. Uh, 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 and with crazy, again, I, I knew I had one because it was just different from anything I'd written before. And more specifically, it was the first one that sounded not like Sly, not like Hendrix, not like Prince, not like, not like any, not like CSN, not like Joni. It actually sounded like me. And the reason I knew was because I played it to this guy who had heard all my other stuff. And out of the corner of my eye, you know, if you want to know what people think about your music or whatever, uh, don't listen to what they tell you. Listen, look at the effect it's having on them because, and that's not discredit or, or meant to kind of that's that's no slight on 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 you know people's ability or inability to to tell you the truth it's just that when you play something to somebody that's something that you are emotionally invested in you put them in an awkward situation you put them in an unnatural they don't want to hurt your feelings they they want to be respectful and so it's rare that they will tell you what they feel but if you look at the effect, and out of the corner of my eye, when I was playing it to this guy, he just stopped. He was stopped. He listened to it. And at the end of it, he just turned to me and he went, he looked up and he went, yep. Yeah. He just shook his head and he went, yeah, that's it. But I already knew. I knew it was because I knew I, I knew it was something different. And I think in the arc of any songwriter or, you know, aspiring musician, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for one of those. And so, so that was, it's interesting. You, you talk about crazy first, because that was a very pivotal song in the development of me as an artist. Um, Is it my favorite song? Well, I, I wouldn't say that, but that was the one that sounded like me. Wait, what's your favorite of yours? I don't really have one, to be honest. Um, the one that I am perhaps most proud of, only because it's there was there's nothing that I that is like it. I don't hear, I don't hear my influences in it. Is Kiss from a Rose, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't hear. I mean, at a stretch, you could say, well, maybe the harmonic and melodic uh, richness of the, the 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 vocals. I could hear maybe Crosby, Sills, and Nash, who I, I 
in there, but not melodically, maybe in its kind of approach, perhaps I could hear, um, you know, it's, the, uh, it's, it's a deeply emotional record. Both the record, both these records, crazy and kiss from a rose are very emotional, but kiss from a rose really gets in you. It really touches you. It's very, it's kind of romantic without being sappy. It's extremely powerful. Um, and I wonder if you have insight into why that record really like gets into you. Well, I, I, I don't know is the answer to that, but I do know that it's committed. It, it, it's, it's not conscious. It's not somebody saying, well, you, oh no, you can't do that because those two elements don't work. You, it, it's, there's a, there's a kind of, there's a blissful ignorance about, um, Kiss from a Rose in that if you look at all the elements to it, it shouldn't work. You have this kind of English Baroque kind of madrigal medieval melody, you know, in, in, a, in a waltz, in a three, four. And then it has these baby, these like weird kind of out of nowhere, these R and B stops that kind of, that come in and you, and they shouldn't really work. And then, and then it goes into this weird kind of character. I've been kissed by a rose on the gray goes into this kind of weird thing and all of these things that shouldn't really work together. And, 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 and therein lies the kind of blissful ignorance. Cause I, I, I wrote it at a time where I didn't really know any better. And so it's fully committed. And, and I was kind of not trying to write a hit or not trying to write a good song. I was just doing without doing i was think uh, i wasn't thinking that was it i was just oh this sounds good here oh that okay great and and therefore it's really committed and so and so it works because of its commitment it's committed to whatever it is which i still don't know until this this, this point and i think i think that's what people resonate with because you see when you when you are able to do something like that, you generally come up with something quite unique, quite unique sounding. And, and, and it generally is, it's unadulterated, it's unaffected. It's, it tends to be with a kind of a, a rawness of the essence of what you are or whatever it is you are, you're channeling. Uh, because it's because you're not thinking about it, you're not in your own way, so you just do it. And I think people kind of people re resonate. People find themselves in in music like that because it's ultimately how we all want to feel. We can. It's easier to find your oneself in something that has that is unique, and you find your own unique uh, meaning and relationship with, with a song like that. Those two songs, uh, Crazy and Kiss from Rose, they are different singing challenges 
for you as a singer, right? Like there, you have to use mm-hmm. different parts of your of your bag of your technique to get through each record, right? Well, "Kiss from a Rose" is a really tricky song to sing. Um, it, it's 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 you have to be calm when you sing it because you know a lot of people will will tell you or or I guess I wouldn't shouldn't say that I I I should say perhaps the consensus is that uh, songs that require belting or or or, or you know. Uh, like getting up there in a higher register uh, can be the difficult ones to sing. Actually, that's not entirely true. I, I, certainly not for me. The hardest songs to sing are the songs in a lower register or in a lower part of your voice where Why? you are generally exposed and you uh, and you have to be calm. And if we are talking about technique, you have to be quite solid in your technique because uh, you can't dig in in the same way. So that you, so you kind of, uh, and and uh, it's a different kind of narrative that you're generally trying to portray down there. So the the voice is quite delicate when it's in a lower register. Kiss from Erosia. There used to be a green town, and then it, and then it's these long phrases and no vibrato, and so you it's it's very it's very exposed down there. So that can be quite challenging. And then, of course, you go from the verse to this R and B thing where you're in a completely different range. So it's all over the place, and then you have to come back down for the for the verse again, and you you can't get too hyped as 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 it were. Uh, Otherwise, you kind of, um, you know, you kind of, you lose your foot in. Um, so, and then crazy is, uh, crazy is just kind of, it's, there's a, a, there's a melancholy about it that I quite like. It is a kind of a hopeful, it's a hopeful song. But, you know, Joni once said, one of my favorite lines of hers is, there's comfort in melancholy. And I've always kind of subscribed to that, I think again, it's easier to find yourself in in as a listener in in something that is wrapped in an emotion that we often feel or need to feel or want to feel. It's easier to find yourself in 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 a, in, a, in, in melancholy. Um, it doesn't have to be a sad song. It just has to have something that that uh, activates emotion. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. 
one of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. I I generally feel like people should not try to cover songs that are in the same demographic as them. If you're a black man, don't sing a black man song, sing a woman's song, and then you can make it your own, right? If you're a white woman, don't sing some famous, right? Like, you know, I'm going to be comparing and, you know, if you cross genre, you know, then I can see it as its own thing, right? So when you approach A Change Is Gonna Come by one mm-hmm. of the great soul singers of the century, one of his great songs, it's a huge challenge because the audience has heard his version a thousand times and com- will, you know, going into it, will be comparing your version to his. And he is one of the greats of the century. And I think you as a soul singer really stand toe to toe in terms of I have reverence for what he did, but I'm going to make it my own, but not in some crazy way that I'm like, it's this whole other thing that I'm like, I don't know what this song is anymore. And it's really impressive to be like, you know, it's, it's an extraordinary test for a black male singer. Um, talk about recording that. And just, I mean, I know, I know just from listening, you could feel it like the challenge of, of putting your voice and your mind next to Sam's, like it's it's a huge challenge. Yeah, it's it was um, well. I, I think the f- first of all, that's very nice of you to to say that, and and I don't take that lightly because. Sorry, I'm just trying to find. A, I'm just trying to find a song that you made me. Oh. So I get the name right before we talk about before I answer that question on Sam, there's something that I wanted to reference because you, you pointed something out that I really agree with. Okay. So there is a, there is, you, you, you talked about if you are, you know, if you are a singer and you cover a song, don't try and cop 
something that is similar to your style. Um, uh, try and do something which is, you know, where people won't compare you to the, the original. What are you doing, Fem? My dog's here. Good boy. <laughs> anyway, and and I I I I, I do believe that I do believe in that. There's a song actually by a woman called uh, Diane Diane Tell. Uh, J'étais un homme. If I I believe the translation is if I if I were a man. It's a beautiful yeah. song, and she talks about how how um how if i were a man uh this is how i would treat me or this is how i would treat you because because this is what a woman wants and this is what a woman uh, um this is what uh, she feels in, at a certain time but 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 you're not but i'm not so i can't so and I was speaking with my my sister, my dear friend and sister, Lisa, and um, she both she and I love that song. And I said, you know what? I so love the movement of this song. I think I'm going to cover this song at some point. And she goes, she goes, yes, but the the lyrics, you know, it's it's if I were a man, I go and I said to her, I said, but that would be great. That's perfect, actually. It's because that would give me an angle, you know, and, um, you know, and, and she went, oh yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You'd come at it. So it's basically, I would be a man singing, uh, if I were a man, right. From the perspective of a woman, um, and it would kind of add, I don't know, something. It, 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 it sounded like a good idea at the time, but um, but I do, but I probably will end up singing that song because I think it would just be unique singing it with the sensitivity of a man singing that song that Diane Tell originally wrote. If I were a man, you know, because it could be like you know, if I were a if I were an actual man, if I could be. Uh, a man in my in my true sense if i could be um if if i were a man in in the true essence of not only what you believe a man should be but also what um i believe what i i would love to be by calling myself a man i thought that would be quite interesting so i said all that just to mention to just to 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 agree with you basically that I do feel that if you're going to cover something you have to bring something unique to it or you you bring your bring bring something make it yours but here's the danger in that I also believe in honoring first and foremost and respecting above all else the song so one of my pet peeves are people who take a great song and change the melody just to make it different, just to thinking that, oh, I have to do something with it. You know, particularly in the case of, of a classic song, 
there's generally a good reason why that song has withstood the test of time. There's generally a reason why that song is a classic. And when you take a song like A Change Is Gonna Come by the great Sam Cooke, yes, his voice is arguably the greatest, if not the greatest soul singer of all time, a one of, certainly. Um, yes, there is that. But the melody in that song is sublime. It's it's The song is a beautiful song. And as a singer, you live to in the hopes that you may come across a song like that or better still, even write to wake up and write a song like that. So that's, and so one has to be very careful about when, you know, when, when we say that, okay, well, you cover a song and make it yours, uh, uh, do so, bring something to it. Uh, you've got to, one has also got to respect the, the, the melody and the integrity of the song because, you know, we're not the first and we won't be the last, as Smokey once said to me, you know, that the, the song will be here way after we're gone, you know? So, so where the change is going to come, what was my angle? Uh, well, my, my priority first and foremost was not to, not to change the melody. You know, Sam Cooke spent a great deal of time writing a perfect song. You know, I wasn't about to go and and try and mess with a you know with with just a beautiful melody. Um, so my angle was my reason for singing that song. Um, it was written. Sorry, I I I recorded it. The idea to record it came during the time of the. Uh, initial President Obama campaign, the first term. Mm. And I felt that America was going through, and and subsequently the world was going through a very significant change, a very significant time in that the youth in particular of America were given hope for the first time in a long time. Um, perhaps not since JFK. Mm-hmm. I've I felt had someone come along, a presidential candidate come along with and had connected with the country in that way that, uh, and had given the country and the youth hope. I mean, just the, the 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 mission statement in in and of itself. Yes, we can. I felt that was so positive, and I felt that I I I I felt that more specifically, America had its its hope and all that it professes to be. It's a uh, it's it's land of hope and glory land of everything, this home of the brave, you know, uh, this, this whole thing was, was activated and it, and what was happening was that uh, President Obama was tapping into that and, you know, it had, and I felt that if that 
thing that I was feeling, that I, that I was seeing, had a voice. And if it could sing a song, that song would be A Change Is Gonna Come. And so I called up Foster, I called up David, David Foster, and, and I said, listen, he and I had been threatening to work together for a while and just never got it together. And I said, I've got this idea to sing a Sam Cooke. And he didn't really, he didn't really, um, he didn't really understand what I was talking about. But he, he said, yeah, sure. I mean, obviously he knew the song, but he didn't really understand why I wanted to sing that. And, and so what happened is I just wanted to contribute to this thing, this feeling, this, this movement that I felt was happening in America at the time. And I'm not an American citizen, um, uh, despite having lived here for 30 years. And so I couldn't vote. I, you know, I, I still, uh, I'm not able to vote. Are you a British so citizen? Thought, pardon? Are you a British citizen? Yes. So, so, um, I, I thought, well, I want, I want to contribute to this, this, this feeling, uh, in some way. So what I did was I, I called up David and he said, okay. And he's works very quickly. So he got this track together really quickly. I was leaving to go on vacation in, in about three days from the time I record, I, I spoke with him. He had a track the next day. Um, I went and I recorded it. He sent me, I took home a rough of it. I called up this guy called Nabil Elderkin, who's gone on to do other things now, a, vi a video and movie director. I'd seen his stuff. I think I'd seen his photographs on online and I called him up. And I said, um, you know, my name is Seal, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've got this idea for a video. Can you shoot it? Surely you don't have to introduce yourself to anybody in the music industry. <laughs> of course. Well, it's, you know, I, I, it's, you know, I don't think, I think it's unwise to just kind of to make assumptions, of you course. know, so that people that think you automatic. I mean, it's just, but, you know, that's. But as you, as you move through the world, you are constantly getting people saying, hey, Seal, crazy, kisser, right? I mean, like, it's... Mm. So I called, anyway, I called up this guy, Nabil, and I said, I've got this idea. Um, think of Otis Redding, Isle of Wight, circa 67. And I sent him this video of Otis Redding, and I said, uh, just a spotlight on... Um, on me, right? Uh, you, can you shoot it in film? And he said, sure. Right. And I said, well, how much is it going to cost? I think it was five grand. So what I did is, is I gave him the money. And the next day I went down to meet him in his studio in downtown LA. We'd never met before. I had a tux in one hand, a microphone stand in another. I drove down, right, went into his place where he lived. He had two of his friends in there. One of them was on a stepladder holding a spotlight. He put these curtains, these black curtains all around 
the 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 living room and he had a speaker i went into his bathroom i changed into my tux came out he had a 16 millimeter camera we went through the song three times i sang it through i literally was there about an hour and a half i left went on vacation went on vacation this is all going somewhere you'll see i went on vacation and about a week and a half into my vacation, I was somewhere in, I think, in, in fact, we were somewhere on the Amalfi. I was at sea on the Amalfi. And I got a video cut from Nabil of A Change Is Gonna Come, which is the video you see, right? And then I sent it to Foster. And he went, oh my God, I get it now. He goes, wait a minute, I didn't get it before. He said, you need to do a whole album of 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 these songs. So I was like, uh, really? Well, that's not really why I, I I I did it. So basically, I just put the song out on YouTube. I just wanted to contribute in my way to the, yeah. this the, this movement that was going on. And also, you know, I was just a massive massive admirer and was completely floored as 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 was everyone else with president Obama. I just, I loved what he was about. And, and I, so I put that, I literally, I, you know, recorded this thing, paid for the video and just put it out. No record company or anything. I, I put it out on, on, on the internet and then it kind of gathered steam and I ended up recording a whole album, uh, two soul albums actually off of the back of that. So uh, I, I tell you that story because um, that was what I brought to it. It wasn't so much making, trying to make the song mine. It was come. It was my reason for singing that song, and therefore you heard that. I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're picking up on. You heard that in in my voice. It wasn't me trying to sing it like Sam Cooke, or even trying to sing it like myself. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about the narrative of the song and how I had found my reason in that narrative. You know, I was born by the river on a little fence, you know. Um, and uh, it's been a long, 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 long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. I just felt that that was the voice of everyone. Everyone was just, everyone wanted change. And here was this, this, this shepherd saying, yes, we can follow me, come this way, you know? And, and, uh, and so that's, that's where the, you know, that was my reason for doing the song. And, and yeah, it's, and when I think back on it, I'm like, Ooh, trying to sing a Sam Cooke song, you know, maybe, maybe not a wise move, but, but I had fun and I'm, I'm, and it's one of the things I'm most proud of. You talk. You talked earlier about Stevie Wonder being one of your central teachers, um, and I want you. I want to hear a little bit more about what you learned from your deep dive into Stevie. If you had said Robert Plant, I would have understood more because I think there's more of a. I, I feel like that is more of what I get from you, rather. And mm-hmm. I'm the biggest Stevie fan there is. I don't hear that same, but maybe there's specific instances that you're like, well, that Stevie is where I'm coming from. Um, but so what, what, what did you, what did you learn from, from him? 
the biggest lesson I learned from Stevie was um, n- not really anything to do with his vocal style or his voice or or his melodic approach. Um, it was really, you know, my mum was a big Motown fan and I remember when little Stevie Wonder came on the scene, you know, I was born in 63. So I remember my mum playing really early Stevie Wonder on the radio underneath her sewing machine when I was you know, a kid. And that was kind of my introduction into music. A lot of Bacharach and David, uh, Dionne Warwick, a lot of uh, Aretha, a lot of Stevie Wonder. But, and so Stevie had always had a, a, a place, um, an influence in, in my life. But the bit where he influenced me the most was with Inner Visions. I, I, I was amazed and dumbfounded at how you could make this thing, a body of work, which chronicled a chapter of your life and how you could make it read like a, an incredible book with a, a great beginning, a great middle, and a great end that made you kind of want to read the whole thing all over again. I, the, the narrative of that album, Inner Vision, was the thing that, that, that showcased the difference between somebody who just wanted to write a bunch of really good songs and somebody who wanted to make albums, records. It was the first record that I was aware of in terms of its what it was, a, a record. I didn't understand that that records could do that until I heard Inner Visions. I, 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 I didn't understand how a record could be this form of escapism that took you, that took the listener on a journey that from the time the needle went down, boom, you were in this world. And then 55 minutes later, you arrived somewhere else. You had been completely transported. I, I, I it, it was the way that it read. It was the narrative of this journey. And that was what made me want to make albums. That was, it was the integrity of that, of that, of inner visions in particular that I tried to adapt in making my own records. I tried that for there not to be any fillers, that everything should have a purpose. Um, you know, and that was of course music to Trevor's ears because he loved that. You know, he loved, we were kind of a match made in heaven because he was of the same you know, thought uh, that, you know, that, that, uh, why just make a, a collection of songs when you can make this thing, like have no fillers, 
you can make this thing that re- that is that transports people. My objective or our objective was we didn't want anyone to ever lift up the needle and skip to the next yeah. track. So wait, you know? that's on that's it. That's 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 very profound. But you're not taking from Stevie as a singer. Who are you taking from to form who you have become as a singer? Uh, a number of people. Marvin Gaye. Um, mm. Marvin Gaye, because I, I call, I call him the tone king, you know, um, I, I, Marvin never had to sing a lot of notes. He never had to kind of really engage in any vocal gymnastics because, because he could just sing one note and his whole DNA was in that. It's, it's, I've always been blown away and so much more impressed or, 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 or impressed upon by tone rather than uh, vocal uh, ability or, uh, or agility more specifically. I've always been way more uh, taken by people who have great tone. And so Marvin was... His tone was just oh god, it's, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so rich. There's so much data in it. Um, uh, uh, another another person, although slightly different, was uh, someone who was a huge influence on me was Sinatra, huge, and his ability to just make you believe to tell you a story he could be he could be just singing shooby dooby doo da 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 and the, the corniest line and you'd believe it hook line and sinker because because he could there were, i don't know if there's any greater storyteller than sinatra and then um and then just raw feeling uh, aretha um just the the oh, just everything i mean like everything everything you need to know about singing and and in a voice and all the stuff that you never knew you needed to know is it's all there when you listen to aretha um but then i also loved dylan Bob you know dylan? who people say well yeah because people will say well well how could you like those diametrically opposed voices, you know, one has this kind of atonal sound to his voice and the other has, you know, is about as rich as you can get. Well, I think that, that Dylan uh, is a great singer in that he is able to kind of take what what he had and figure out a way to convey the most important thing, which is the narrative. And so, you know, I love my idea of of great voices and and, and great singers is is I I guess a uh, it already comes down to how to best convey the song, the narrative. What is it you're trying to, uh, how do I 
enable you to feel? How do I enable, as a singer, how do I enable you to connect? You know, another person who, who maybe someone perhaps more modern, um, someone whose voice I admire because it's God-given is Sade. She's Mm. another one. She's just, have you ever noticed how like someone like Sade can not bring out a record for like eight, 10 years, bring out a record and and everyone goes and, but you know, and, and there she's again. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's because she's extremely fortunate in that she is blessed with this instrument that people never get tired of listening to. It's a, the, the sound that she makes when she opens her mouth. There is so much information in it, and, and it's, it's a beautiful sound. It's a tone that you never, ever get tired of. Um, she's, she's, she's a little deep for a woman singer, right? I don't know. I just know that she just has this God-given instrument. It's, it's just, yeah. it's just a, it's a, it makes a sound that you will never get tired of. Doesn't yeah. matter that she's, you know, and some, some singers are very fortunate that way. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite um, singers today, it, for different reasons, again, is a Rihanna. Like I, th- I think she is one of the greatest like singers in popular music uh, uh, currently. What are the um, Rihanna songs that you that you really gravitate toward? Um, love the way is it? Love the way you learn the one with the. Yeah. Yeah, lie, yeah. Love the way you lie, yeah, yeah. Love the way you lie, love the way you lie. God, like what a... But there are are a a bunch, you know, I like that. What was that last album, the red and white one, you know, with Desperado? Mm -hmm. Anti? Yeah, oh yeah, God, like her singing on that is, is that, you know, that should be a, 
that's a masterclass in singing in 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 having a, 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 a I think an an unorthodox voice and a, a really unique sounding voice but she technically she is a brilliant singer and I think because she does so many other things well I think she's underrated as an actual um brilliant singer um I ask, you know, I, I, I ask everybody who comes on the show what being black means to them. And and it's interesting to talk to you about this because you you have your European experience in life and tremendous experience in America. And you have uh, a much stronger tie to Africa than a lot of us have. Um, so, you <laughs> well, know, that's subjective, but. Right. I mean, I've just been there a little bit as a, as a, as a tourist, but, but, you know, what is, what, you know, I mean, we talk so much, I mean, there's so many black singers who have poured into you, who have influenced you. Um, But, but, you know, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't grow up in America, you look at it a little bit differently, even if you live here for a long time. I'm just curious what it, um, what it means to you. What, what means to me? Being black. Being black in America or being black in general? Well, in general, yeah. Do you know, I, I, that's a great question. And it, it's, it's, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. And I don't, and I certainly have never given it any thought. But now that you've asked me, what does being black mean to me um it means a lot of things um i think being black gives you a, a unique understanding of empathy um i think it gives you a unique understanding of uh uh music um but i also you see being being black for me is is quite unique for me because i'm black and i'm well known mhm so meaning that i'm in the public eye so uh, I, I'm a quote unquote famous person, although I try to I try not to use words like celebrity. I, which is my pet peeve. I, I can't. Stand. But you are. You, you are. I, you know, I really don't use consider myself as a celebrity because that implies being famous for the sake of being famous. I'm a yes. musician. I, yes. I, I'm. I, I, in fact, I despise that word celebrity. I don't even know why I brought it up. But in any case. <laughs> 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 um but but it's it's being black is is unique for me because i am i i am a a person in the public eye i'm a famous person and so i get the the gamut of of ways in which people look at me so uh some people I can tell will see me as black. 
some people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, but no, that's seal. You know, and some people, um, and, and, and some people will look at me as just, yeah, yeah, okay, well, he's, yeah, but he's just odd. He's just, you know, he's seal. You know, he's not. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so it gives me quite a unique um, perspective uh, 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 and an insight into uh, what it would be like being black if I were not a famous person. What, what it would be like being black and looking the way I do, very African looking, very, very tribal, if I were not a, a, um, a, a, a famous person. Um, you see, because I don't come up against the same uh, roadblocks as someone who looked the way I do or similar to the way I do, both in skin color and in appearance, uh, and that wasn't famous. Um, and the reason I know that is because I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't always famous, you know? And uh, in fact, my uh, fame didn't happen till I was 27, which is actually quite late, you know? And so, you know, I remember from, I, I remember for going from being sort of, you know, a relative nobody, even though I always felt, even though I always felt that, uh, uh, that I always felt different, but I, I remember going from a relative nobody to overnight being famous and people almost stopped seeing me as black and started to see me as a seal, as a famous person. Um, I do realize that is perhaps one half of the question that you were asking me. Um, I could perhaps elaborate on that by saying, well, what was it like, asking a question, what was it like growing up in England as a black man and then coming to uh, America? Very different. Very, very, like, very polarizing. Um, in America, uh, growing up in England, um, the nature of how black people came to England, uh, the nature of how my forefathers came to England. In fact, the nature of how my parents came to England was very different from the nature of how black people's uh, ancestors and parents came to America. My parents came to England by invitation from, you know, my parents are from Nigeria. And so Nigeria was a part of the British uh, Empire at one point. It was a colony. And after the Second World War, my parents were invited to come and rebuild the economy of the country. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so, so, so uh, uh, when the parents of myself and people from my generation came to England, there were there things like racism? Yes, but it was different because of the dynamic, you know, 
of like a lot of people had come from the Caribbean and from Africa, but on by invitation to to work in in England. Uh, the country was going through um, uh, an economic uh, difficulty. And the indigenous peoples of England understood that, and they understood that they needed people. They, that uh, the, you know, the, the government had reached out to its colonies to get people to come over uh, to do work and to do jobs that you know that perhaps they weren't capable of doing or didn't want to do or, or, or whatever. The point I'm trying to make is that there was kind of friction, but uh, but we were able to kind of we were able to sort of like to argue call each other call each other names uh, you know have a have a, the odd fight about it and get on and move on and so a lot of kind of there wasn't as much of a racial divide uh, and such polarization as what i came to meet in America. And it took me a while to one. Pardon? Well, what happened when you got, when, what, what is something that happened when you got to America that made you say, oh, it's different over here? Um, the way that uh, Caucasian people uh, dealt with you or dealt with me before they knew I was um, SEAL or it, before they recognized me. I remember first coming here and I had an experience in Beverly Hills once where um, someone, just this random woman came up to me. She goes, you're the reason, you're the reason why. Um, now, admittedly, this was the time of the riots, I think. It, it, uh, right, it was in 92, uh, 91, The 92. LA riots, like 1990s? Yes. Yes, around that time. She goes, you're the reason, so why don't, you know, it's just all because of you, this random woman. And I remember, and, and that wasn't something I'd kind of experienced 92. before. Pardon? Yes. 92, 92 was the LA right. 92. And, and so, so there was that. And then there was also, uh, there was also, um, uh, you know, from, from black people over here, there was this kind of weird curiosity. Well, how come you don't, you know, talk or behave like us? Yet you look, you know, yet you look like fully, like you look like a Zulu. You look more African than, than they do in the in the Tarzan movies, you know, or, you know. And so, how come you don't and and so that was an interesting dynamic. And, um, of, of course, I guess my, and then there was my lack of understanding of the, of the plight of, 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 of black people in this country. And, and, um, having not grown up here, um, I didn't fully understand, nor could I pretend to understand the fight i couldn't understand i couldn't understand uh you know i've since toured around this country uh multiple times by bus and and you know i'll talk to a i talk to everyone 
when you know i'm i'm the guy that when when we you know like if i go out with the runner during you know in between sound check and the gig i'll i'll talk to you know i'll 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 talk to a doorknob you know if 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 you if I felt that it would engage me in, in conversation, you know, so I, I talked to, and so I, I've traveled around America numerous times by tour bus. And I played in a lot of, you know, small towns and well, not so much small towns, but cities and things like that. And you talk to people and then you get a real, uh, an understanding. I started to get an understanding of, of what it, has would have been like to grow up here as a black person uh, compared to what it was like in growing up in England. And so I, I feel that being, being a, a musician and being in the public eyes is just given me a real unique um, insight into, uh, into the, the, the differences of, of, of um of what it is like to you know to grow up here and grow up in 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 England in my country and and therefore I guess I I I was able to better understand uh why there is uh such divide in this country and why and and why uh you know, th- there are wounds that are still fresh and they run very deep and it's, it's difficult to move past them. And it's difficult for, um, for it, it's difficult to kind to, to get some kind of resolution when things are still so raw and so, and so young and so recent you know, it's it's as recently as the '60s, where where you know black people couldn't drink from the same faucets or, or ride on the same part of the bus. I didn't grow up with anything like that, anything like that at all. Like not even close. You know, if we if we ever had kind of you know we we have these people called skinheads mm-hmm. in England. They're kind mm-hmm. of like you know. They're kind of a bit sort of right wing kind of, you know, by nature, that's what, that, that's what they are. Yeah. Uh, extremists. And, you know, we, we would kind of end up in fights with them, but a lot of time we'd give as good as we got, you know, we, we, we weren't lynched or shot or anything <laughs> like that, you know, uh, uh, no, that was, and, 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 and uh, our police didn't, and still don't carry guns. And so, you know, the worst you were going to get was a beating, but like, but it wasn't even that again, there was a very different dynamic. So I don't have any of that experience. And so I can only try to understand it from people I've met and through living here for 30 years. So what, that was a very, a a much longer answer um, as I was thinking it through, you, you know, to, to a very short question you asked, like, what does it mean to me to be black? I guess if I was giving you a short answer to that question, it would be, I, being black, I feel that, in, it, 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 forget America for a start, 
be for a moment being black in this world i feel and being a musician and being in the public eye because they are all that you, you can't separate those those uh, uh aspects of 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 you know when it comes to asking me that question uh, uh, as it pertains to my life you can't separate them what it means to me is that i have a unique experience a, a unique opportunity a, a really unique uh and fortunate opportunity i i am uh, am black so i i believe that i have a an appeal and uh, and uh, 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 an understanding and uh, a particular uh, type of empathy that comes along with being those things um being a musician and working in music i have therefore the ability to appeal to lots of people intravenously and bring people together in a very in a very uh precious uh and essential way and i have also again being in the public eye i have the and being black and being a musician i believe that i have a unique opportunity to be an example to everyone to young people to uh particularly to young people to i believe the only way the only way forward is progression whilst i am aware to a degree and and sympathetic to you know to experiences on both sides i believe that i have i believe in 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 progress in moving forward um understanding where we've come from but also m- moving forward okay how do we get closer together how do we how do we progress how do we get back to the garden um you know there was a quote that really had a profound effect in my life i heard some 4 4 or 5 years ago and it was somebody i think it was on a ted talk and they said you know it's really difficult to hate someone up close so we have to move closer and that is pretty much my my raison d'etre that's that's when i make music when i write songs uh when i sing when i perform when i interact with people my singular objective is connection is bringing people closer together is is getting back to who we really are uh doing whatever to 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 remove this barrier 
of you know however idealistic that that may seem but i i do believe that it it is ultimately where we have to end up where we will where we can just see each other as not even people but as energy as spirit and first and foremost and that we just happen to be these wonderful beautiful different uh, uh versions colors shapes uh versions of that spirit but we are all essentially this is getting back to this oneness and so um being black uh and being a musician and being in the public eye is that's i i see my position being those things i see that i my singular duty is to connect people and i don't necessarily mean connect pe- connecting people with each other i actually mean connecting with ourselves i think the more connected that we are in ourselves the rest of it takes care of itself all of the other uh, ideals of utopia that happens as a result of being connected because essentially i i i believe that we are uh, the, the essence of who we are is really is about the most beautiful thing i can think of you know the essence of who we as beings are and where we get where we've come unstuck is where we have become disconnected not from each other but from ourselves because when we are connected i think we're just infinitely divine and and beautiful seal is your real name it's the sort of yeah, thing well, that is part of seal henry samuel so it, that um my grandparents wanted to call me silandrio and then and my mum wasn't having it and then um uh, and then my 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 dad on my dad's side they wanted to call me something else on my mum's side they wanted to call me something else so it was a compromise i never really kind of used seal growing up you know because i used to get made fun of but then but what then, did you uh, use growing up henry henry most people So in school they called you Henry. Yes. Well, <laughs> on a, on a good day. <laughs> What did they call you on a bad day? Oh, all kinds of names. Or or you know, I, I I I was never the cool kid at school ever. I was like, you know, I was never the the guy who kind of who got the girl. Uh, I I was never the cool kid. I was always the one. I was always the one that was kind of got drawn into stuff. and and ended up getting caught while while the people that drew me into it would get away i was super gullible you know i was never cool had to never never dated you know never, we didn't have the prom but never took the girl to the prom right that that kind of thing. and then of course when uh when my career took off it all changed <laughs> it's like funny that yeah, yeah that's going to be yeah. pretty funny to go from yeah. He doesn't really date that much. He marries one of the most famous supermodels in the world. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I can listen <laughs> about that the better. <laughs> uh, um it's been a learning experience. It 
<laughs> no problem. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I'm curious, you bring up sort of crazy change your life. Mm-hmm. It was an overnight sort of thing of like, that everything is different yeah. right away. Yeah. Um, well, Killer was the one. Killer was the one that really kind of, um, because Killer, Killer was so successful in Europe. It was, uh, it was a European number one for four weeks, right? In, and, and so I went from nobody to overnight being this, you know, being this guy that sung this song called Killer. And also the nature of Killer was interesting in that it was the first major kind of crossover from acid house to into the mainstream it got to number one in england without any radio play until it got into the top 20 then because house music was banned on radio because there was um um a member of parliament's daughter had died at a rave after taking some ecstasy or at least that's how the story was spun so radio was just banned from playing anything related to acid house and killer had come out of the acid house like house music dance scene and it wasn't getting any radio play but it it was gathering so much momentum in the underground that it actually broke over people just bought found a way to buy the record and one week it was in the top 20 then all of a sudden you know it was on top of the, we were on top of the pops and radio was playing it. And then, so I went from this nobody to being this kind of overnight, like this meteoric success. And then crazy was the first solo, um, uh, record single, because before that I did killer with this guy called this DJ called Adamski and it was under his name, but I'd co-written sang, and sang the song. So, Crazy was the first release as Seal. I mean, do you look at your life as like pre-crazy and post-crazy? Because it's just like, it's just, it's a different life after that. Pre-crazy and post-crazy. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I haven't looked at my life like that, but I guess so. You could look at it like that. Because again, from a personal perspective, Crazy was again one of those songs that didn't really sound like anything else it's or, or anyone else it sounded like me it was the first one where i found my voice as a singer and and I, just everyone liked it it was one of those things where it you know it didn't matter who i played it to it didn't matter what kind of music they were into whether they were into punk or whatever. It was just this song that was kind of had a sentiment, touched a chord, and was different enough that people kind of respected it. Femi, what's the matter? Fem, come here. So yes. And and then uh, of course, after that, before that, I didn't have that. I didn't have that thing. I didn't have that kind of that that ID. You know, yeah. you guys have I uh, uh, walk yeah. around with IDs. I didn't have that ID. And crazy became a thing that that wasn't just about oh this nice noise that I made when I when I sang. It was about it. 
crazy was an insight into Seal as not even a, an artist, but a person like who I was. Like, why would I sing about things like that? So I've been one thing I'm curious about. Um, Cause when you came out and there's a video and it's like, Oh my God, he's a great looking guy. Mm. And we're like, Oh, mm. he's African with the tribal. Okay, mm. cool. Whatever. And then we learn that you've talked about it, it's lupus, whatever. Fine. Like mm. you've talked about that. Mm. But I wonder before you get to crazy, before you get to killer, when you're like, mm. I want to be a singer. Is mm. there a point? Is there a part of you that says, will I be able to achieve my goal or my dream or will this hold me back no never not for one second see here's the thing right people people often ask um like how did you know or when did you when did you uh, you know when did you get your big break or uh, all of these things are all kind of like, how did you make it, uh, quote unquote, make it? I always knew, I always knew from, there was absolutely zero doubt in my mind, the trajectory of my life. It was just a question of when. I was always that kid in the back of the class that was daydreaming. Like, I, 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 I would dream about this life that I have. The, the, it, there was no question. There was no plan B. I always knew that this would happen. Like, and it was just a question of applying myself, I guess. And so, no, not even when I got these scars from lupus, not even then did I, I doubt that for one second. I just felt that, that, it was part of my story. You know, there's that old adage, scars are like tattoos, but with more interesting stories. Well, this was my story. This was my information. This was, this was all a part of, even though it was difficult at the time, of course, you know, when you are just, these things start to appear on your face. Um, How old were you? Uh, 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, 21. And so there was more of a kind of a personal crisis but never in t that i went through like you know oh my god my face is changing like i don't know what's happening to and no one knew that was it it's not like anyone knew it was lupus like no one knew like i you know i was the subject of i was a case study in a hospital and people prodding around at my face you know med students not even real doctors you know and so no one knew so there was a kind of personal crisis that i went through but in terms of did i think it would ever um, stop me from achieving what I, no, not even close uh, because I was just so sure of what was going to happen in my life. There, there, there was no plan B, you know, it's funny you bring that up because, um, one of my, uh, um, uh, uh, a dear friend, an actor who passed away, um, who, uh, when I met him, he shared something with me. Yeah, I, I, I won't say his name, but he shared something with me. And it was the first time that 
I really, well, not the first time, but it, it was certainly one of the most profound times that I, that, that I realize that if you, that I realize that all of these things, whether they be physical scars or emotional scars, uh, they are, they are essential to who we are and not just for the betterment of us, uh, but for the betterment of everything, uh, who we are as a species. Uh, this, this person said to me, you know, um, I had a scar across my face. I had aspirations to be an, an actor and I was in this accident, this, this fight and somebody cut me across my face and put a scar. And he said, when that happened to me, I felt that my life was over and, and certainly my career and on my dreams. And then he said, and then I saw this like weird African looking mofo on the TV <laughs> singing this song crazy with dreadlocks, right? He was a, a little bit more colorful in his description of me. And he said, he said that he saw this guy like with these scars and so bold and just looking into the camera and, and, and singing this song, you know, we're never going to survive unless we get a little crazy. And he said it blew his mind. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't believe how, how, how like, how just odd, like how, how, how bold and how in ownership of those scars I was. Now, I wish I could take credit for that, but I had no choice, you know, but that wasn't, my point is, is that these were not, not only were they not going to get in the way of, of, of where I was heading or who I was, but they were going to contribute to it. They were going to be an essential part of my story. They were going to be an essential part of my identity. And that was, that was, there was a reason I had them. It wasn't a coincidence. It was, and part of, of that reason was what this guy, this actor was telling me now. He said, and you know, I always wanted to meet you and tell you that, that, that you really helped me. And he went on to be very successful. Um, and uh, he said, I always wanted to meet you and, and share that with you, that you really helped me, um, uh, you know, in my journey. And that that had a profound effect on me. When someone shares something like that with you, then you realize that if if you could go back and change and maybe not have lupus or not have these scars, would you change would you would you change it? No way. No way, no. I I I I wouldn't be me without them. 
That's true. I wouldn't make this music. I wouldn't sing. I wouldn't, I, I couldn't be. You found that determination be. right away. Cause 21 is a very formative moment. And to have that change happen at that age is, so, and you, you, did it take a moment to f- refine the determination? Yeah. Oh, look, I remember being so sad. Like on my 21st birthday, I remember sitting on a wall by myself and just crying my eyes out and my whole face had changed changed i remember being like i remember being just so sad and 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 just not but again it wasn't for professional um uh, uh, reasons it was more like like what the f is going on with me i don't understand and like you know but no i didn't even think about how it would affect my quote unquote career that was never in question at all and I guess I get that from, I get that from my upbringing. I think I think what had happened is that I had uh, been fortunate enough, and I use that word intentionally, to go up against a lot of early adversity in in my childhood life that I just prepared me for. Like I was pretty battle tested by the time I got to twenty one, and even more so by the time I got to twenty seven which was a bigger change. You know what was, okay, this is probably a good place to end because I know that there's, I have another interview after, after and I have to be respectful for them. But you know what was a bigger, a bigger challenge, far bigger than the lupus, right? What was a bigger challenge was handling the success when it happened that crazy journey. You know, there's an old adage, be careful of what you want, you might get it. Well, I don't think anything could prepare one for the dynamic paradigm shift of going from no one or a a relative nobody that people don't recognize to all of a sudden, all of a sudden uh, going from that to people and because of these scars you see that's the other thing there was no mistake oh it's him do you know i remember right i remember after i'd done top of the pops the first, top of the pops is like i guess ready steady go or soul train over here it was a bit you, like if you weren't on top of the pops you weren't anything like and conversely when you did perform on top of the pops the whole country knew because the whole country tuned into that one music show i remember after being on top of the pops um, the first time. And this is before I signed a solo deal. And I came out of a recording studio and there were these two girls across the road and they thought they were whispering, right? I could hear them as, as clearly as you and I, and they, and one of them went here, it's him. It's him. And the other, and the other, and the other one was going, no, what Adamski? Cause that's who they thought I was. And, and, she she said yeah and she went the other one went no it can't be it can't be like what and and the first one went i'm telling you it's him it's look at look at those scars on his face it's him it's him i tell you right and that was my first experience of going from no one to to you know people and and that that adjustment was uh again not an experience that i would change for anything because it's brought me so much, but boy, oh boy, that was way harder than dealing with uh, 
scars from lupus. Thank you so much for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.